Welcome to another episode of Ecoville. We are joined by a special guest today, the board chairperson of the Forestry Commission of Zimbabwe, Mrs. Veronica Jakarasi. She is also the Climate Finance and Sustainability Manager at the Infrastructure Development Bank of Zimbabwe and also represented Zimbabwe at the historic Paris Agreement on Climate Change in 2015. She's here to discuss the United Nations' latest Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC report, which was recently released and has shown changes in the Earth's climate in every region and across the whole climate system. Welcome, Mrs. Chakarasi. Um, thank you very much, Nance. Okay, thank you for making time to come on the program. So we'll, sure. start, we'll start with um, the basics. Can you please tell us about yourself and how long you've been working in the environmental field? Um, thank you very much, Nancy. Um, as you've already said, my name is Veronica. I also have a second name, Nonchansa, and my maiden name is Kunde, and my marriage name is Jakarasi. Um, I, I, I serve as the board chairperson of the commission and currently also working with the Infrastructure Development Bank responsible for climate finance and sustainability. Mm-hmm. I served the government for 10 years uh, from 2008 to 2018 before I moved to the IDPZ. And I was privileged to support the establishment of the Climate Change Management Department in 2014, uh, following um, the pronouncement by the government to have it as a fully fledged uh, department in the Ministry of Environment. So it was quite an exciting uh, platform and portfolio to, to actually work on. Um, and it actually gave me diversity around climate change issues um, that cover uh, issues on mitigation, adaptation, means of implementation, where you're looking at your climate financing elements, and also the capacity of building needs in the, the technology um, transfer and development, which is critical when it comes to addressing climate change challenges. I've also supported in my portfolio then uh, the accreditation of the Environmental Management Agency. And also now at the IDBZ, I've worked on supporting the bank to be accredited to the Green Climate Change, to the Green Climate Fund, which is one of the biggest climate funds uh, in the world. I have also authored different academic papers and book chapters. Um, which are also climate change related, but uh, in diverse portfolios, uh, including climate diplomacy, uh, climate finance, uh, green um, climate change and gender issues, climate change and religion. Um, and I've done significant uh, capacity building and training uh, meetings, including uh, the training of government officials on green procurement, as well as the uh, climate finance uh, for the Ministry of Finance officials. Um, and, um, well, I, I'm also a tech woman uh, in the STEM science, you know, the science and um, technology issues. So we are the STEM women. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also a member of the Africa Climate Change Leadership Program, mm-hmm. um, as well as I was privileged to be recognized as one of the top 20 thought leaders and influencers in climate change, I think, as 360. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Do you know, after, after hearing uh, all that experience, the, the, the next question is going to sound a bit strange, but it's really important so that we all understand. <laughs> what is climate change 
And why is it important to conduct continuous research on the subject? Um, Basic understanding of climate change from um, academia is the long-term alteration of temperature and typical weather patterns in a place of a period of 30 to 40 years. I think that's the general definition in our geography um, textbook. Um, But you also realize that um, climate change has been attributed to human activity, which is the anthropogenic uh, elements, uh, such as burning fossil fuels and common to us is our very own coal, which we use to power our houses. Um, And uh, it also releases uh, greenhouse gas um, emissions into the atmosphere, which then form a blanket um, that then allows the heat that has come to the earth not to go back to the atmosphere. So it results in global warming. And um, it uh, it has been basically driven by your human-induced emissions and, of course, to a lesser extent, the large-scale shifts in your weather patterns, which is a natural uh, phenomenon. And why is it important to conduct continuous research? Uh, you- oh, yes. Uh, in terms of research, you realize that research uh, answers questions such as what is happening and uh, what can we do about it? So I think climate change has actually posed questions around what is happening. Farmers are asking, we cannot plant uh, during the time that we used to plant because probably rains are coming in late. So research then answers those questions to say, what is happening? Then people say it's climate change. Then then people ask, so what should we do about it? So Mm -hmm. um, research is uh, very useful. Uh, to answer such uh, questions. So you realize uh, that um, in the climate change space, you have research around the science of climate change and also how you can reduce the causes of climate change in the short to long term. And also how can communities cope with the already changing uh, climate uh, that we are already facing. So the importance of research to understand and develop uh, emissions reductions um, technologies uh, identify climate and global scenarios and impacts and their impacts thereof, as well as possibly provide a range of options, you know, uh, to drive uh, solutions in addressing climate change issues mm-hmm. so that we can reduce the risks uh, that we are already mm-hmm. facing associated with climate change. And uh, look at the options. You, you would need definitely options to say if we are going to develop in a high carbon uh, pathway, what would be the consequences? Mm. So research allows you to then look at the alternative uh, pathways that can help you to sustainably develop. Okay. The United Nations um, released the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report, IPCC. IPC. Uh, so what are the findings of this report? Um, in, in terms of um, the IPCC um We all know that it was a body that was created in 1988 by the United Nations and is basically to focus on assessing the science related to climate change. Um, So the science part is very important. Um, You realize that IPCC also uh, develops comprehensive reports on the knowledge of climate change, the causes, the potential impacts. It was work being done by a working group basis of the climate system and climate change. So you have three working groups. The other one focuses on um, adaptation-related issues and the other one on mitigation-related uh, issues. So in terms of the outcomes of the um, this IPCC working group, which will contribute 
to the sixth IPCC report that will be published in 2020, uh, including inputs from other working groups, uh, is looking at um, the issue around 1.5 degrees. I think that's where the key element is, uh, where we are saying global warming of 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees uh, will be exceeded during the 21st century unless deep reductions in carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions um, are really cut, you know, in the near future. So in the current decade that we are in, we need to see significant emissions cut so that we are able to maintain a temperature rise well below 1.5 degrees. And um, the latest report uh, also indicates that there's more than 50% chance that the 1.5 degrees uh, Celsius target is reached or crossed between 2021 and 2040. So if we continue with business as usual, we are bound to go beyond uh, 1.5 degrees. And that means our islands, you know, we are, which are one meter above sea level or less will probably then disappear. So that's how extreme the message is. Um, and then the good part, I think, is um, saying limiting global warming to 1.5 by the end of the century is still within reach, but it will require great leadership to drive the required uh, transformational change in the most needed ambition, especially from the developed uh, countries. Um, the report also highlights uh, clearly uh, that there is increasing understanding on climate science, uh, where we are recognizing that climate change is no longer a hoax. It is now unequivocal that human-caused emissions such as burning fossil fuels and cutting down trees are responsible for recent warming. Mm -hmm. And this has basically been attributed mm -hmm. that only 0.1 degrees of uh, natural forces has contributed to climate change, with one degree being attributed to pre-industrial development. So that's how um, I, I comprehensive the, the assessment in the uh, climate system and climate change has been uh, by the IPCC report. And I think the other outstanding uh, element from the IPCC report is around uh, understanding that every region shall be affected or will be affected uh, by climate change. So it's no longer an African issue that Africa uh, needs to adapt because they are facing climate change. We are also seeing every country, even in developed countries, beginning to experience uh, the elements related to climate change uh, impacts. How will Zimbabwe and Africa be directly affected uh, if we are considering the findings of this report? Uh, if, if you are looking at uh, the impacts on uh, Zimbabwe and Africa, um, I think the most painful part is that um, Zimbabwe and other uh, African countries have contributed minimally to climate change when it comes to industrial, um, industrial, uh, when it comes to industrial development, and also when it comes to the contribution to the uh, emissions uh, in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So that is one uh, mm -hmm. challenge that. Uh, apart from contributing to climate change from an anthropogenic perspective, we are still going to be affected by climate change. And what are those impacts that we're going to be feeling? Uh, we are going to be seeing a lot of increase in the droughts. We're going to see a significant increase as well, even in floods and even cyclones. Um, look at Cyclone Idai. Mm -hmm. Up to now, the mm -hmm. country hasn't fully recovered from Cyclone Idai, although it happened in 2019. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. can imagine having frequent cyclones 
you know, back to back, maybe in every three or five years. We don't have the resources uh, mm -hmm. to be dealing with such extreme weather events. Look at drought. If we get a drought this year, a drought next year, it stretches the national budget, you know, mm -hmm. and it uh, re reduces uh, the coping strategies of communities and increases the poverty levels. And Zimbabwe's agricultural production is rain-fed. So most of the community's production is dependent on rainfall. So if you're going to get intermittent rainfall and more droughts or even more floods, because you can't even increase production in a flood, you know, unless if you are then going to do rice, but what is the sustainability of that production? Mm. So those are real uh, impacts that our communities in Zimbabwe and across Africa are going to be facing. Least developed countries are not eliminated they are going to suffer the same. And these challenges are coming at the backdrop of the already constrained government budgets. Why are they constrained? They are already looking at the health issues. They are looking at the education issues. They are looking at the food security issues. And then now we are telling them we have this climate component, which has been added into the agenda that you have to budget for and you need to deal with it. Right. After this fine, like you've just stated, that um, we are going to uh, see flooding, uh, there are going to be droughts. So what are the mitigatory measures that have been put in place uh, to support uh, people so that they are not affected by climate change? Um, I think in terms of uh, mitigation issues, um, Zimbabwe is trying to, to put significant strides uh, in addressing climate change uh, challenges. Uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, resources being channeled into irrigation development. Um, so basically, this is to cushion our communities, you know, not to only depend on rain-fed production. Um, so that's a, a very uh, critical uh, component. Uh, you also realize that uh, significant resources are being put even in dam construction and water harvesting. So uh, water resources are going to become scarce as we are going to have a lot of uh, droughts coming. So water shall be a need. So investment in dam construction by government has become uh, pertinent. And uh, whilst uh, we recognize that our emissions have been minimal, but we have joined the global agenda um, to support emissions reduction. And as a country, we are seeing significant resources are uh, being ch channeled into renewable energy, especially uh, solar development. We have increasingly seen uh, a lot of solar projects uh, coming on board in the country. Resilient infrastructure, we, we, we can never talk about uh, adaptation and mitigatory actions and coping with extreme uh, weather events without talking about resilient uh, infrastructure. Um, of, of late, uh, we, we see the government also talking around uh, infrastructure development and trying to channel significant resources into infrastructure development. However, if you look at infrastructure development, it is very expensive. It needs patient capital and um, long tenure um, financing with very low interest rates. But such financing is not readily available in the country. So uh, accessing such resources uh, combined with our efforts in the multilateral space will be very pertinent and uh, they will help advance the country's adaptive uh, capacities. Okay, you've said that government has already started uh, 
working on these mitigatory measures. But uh, let's put a measure to it. In the last decade, uh, how successful have been the climate mitigatory measures put in place by government? Um, I, I think we have seen significant um, impact following the establishment of the National Climate Change Department uh, in 2013, uh, which then uh, started um, oh, being established um, effectively 2014 and became fully operational in 2015. If you look at the amount of climate finance that has been mobilized by the country from around um, 2014 uh, to date, it is really significant uh, resources. And I would like to attribute that uh, to the efforts uh, by the Climate Change Department uh, in trying to mobilize different multilateral and bilateral funding in the climate space. So we are seeing a lot of resources coming in from the Green Climate Fund, uh, where the UNDP, in collaboration with the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Environment, are implementing, a, as well as Minister of Agriculture, are implementing about a $46 million project you know, in terms of assisting communities to cope with climate change in dry farming areas. We also saw uh, WFP accessing about 10 million uh, from the Green Climate Fund as well uh, to support climate change adaptation as well. And um, we, we, are, we are seeing significant resources being mobilized um, in that space. And these resources are mobilized externally, but they are also having uh, co-financing coming from the uh, Minister of Finance. So the role being played by the Minister of Finance to provide co-financing to be able to leverage additional funding to support climate change adaptation in the country is, um, I think it's something that is recommendable. Mm -hmm. We should be able to see more mm -hmm. of it coming on board. I think there is still a lot that Minister of Finance can do and uh, they are in a good starting pathway. No, it's good that um, there's already measures that are being put in place and I hope they come to the full assistance of people so that they are not fully affected by climate change. Now we go back to the report. A part of the recommendations of the report is that stabilizing the climate will require strong, rapid and sustained reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. How does Zimbabwe plan on achieving this? Um, I, I think for Zimbabwe, uh, what we have seen is their commitment in um, revising what you call nationally determined uh, contribution, which is basically a binding uh, country commitment into towards um, emissions reduction and also allowing uh, adaptation enhancements. So the commitment by the government of Zimbabwe to revise its nationally determined contribution to reaffirm um, sustained uh, reduction in greenhouse gases is a good start. And now we need to then turn these policy and strategy documents into projects. So it means there's significant resource mobilization as a country that we need to do. Uh, and to me, what will be important is to see the private sector, the public sector, development partners coming on board and saying, how do we mobilize resources both domestically and transnational? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in terms of the small strides uh, that Zimbabwe has taken, I think I've already alluded to the accreditation of the Environmental Management Agency to the Adaptation Fund. 
the accreditation of the Infrastructure Development Bank uh, to the Green Climate Fund. These are some of the small steps that the country is taking and are in the right direction. So with enough support, they are able to also mobilize diverse and additional resources to support climate action in the country. Mm-hmm. So we're talking of, of collaborative efforts between uh, government and the, um, the private sector. So in terms of the private sector, um, you, as companies go into production, I think they emit more greenhouse uh, gas than the ordinary person would. So my question is, do you think the private sector uh, companies in Zimbabwe are contributing financially to the fight against climate change? Uh- um, I think they are doing their um, significant role in their um, small and large places, if I would say. Recently, we saw Tanganda Farm setting up a 1.8 megawatt renewable energy plant, which is a solar plant. That, that is um, sending a signal that we are developmental conscious why we should sustainably develop. So they've put additional resources to supporting climate action in their own space. SBC, as a bank, they're also working towards being accredited um, to the Green Climate Fund. So that level of commitment to say, we need to mobilize climate financing to support sustainable development in the country is a good signal. Okay. Uh, okay. We also recently saw Econet indicating that they're now part of the United Nations uh, principles of responsible investing. That, that's good. And uh, with Econet, uh, it also brings uh, to the picture uh, DPA, distributed power um, company, that they are also supporting in terms of scaling up solar energy development in the country. I think those are activities that we should be recognizing as a country. And I'm seeing a lot of power plants uh, coming up, you know, uh, from a renewable uh, solar perspective, which the private uh, sector is doing. What we need is to also ensure that we uh, support our independent uh, power producers, you know, um, in terms mm-hmm. of ensuring that from a policy perspective, um, they are supported and um, um, enabling, you know, uh, environment. Because if you look also in the renewable energy space, solar production is commercially viable. So it means they are able to get commercial funding out there. So at a bare minimum, as a country, what can we do to set up an enabling platform to allow our independent power producers to access commercial resources that they can then use to develop our solar projects in the country? That will ensure that our mitigation um, obligations under the nationally determined contribution are equally achieved. So um, the private sector is doing their fair share, but I think with more coordination, more strategic partnerships, we're able to unlock more opportunities. No, it's nice to know that uh, it it is actually a collaborative effort between government and the private sector. Now, um, as the chairperson of the Forestry Commission, how can the national tree planting efforts mitigate climate change? Um, I, I think we, we all know that forests uh, are important carbon reser- reservoirs or reserves. Um, and uh, however, we still lack um, significant, sustainable, affordable energy resources 
from both our urban and rural communities. We still see a number of urban uh, communities still using firewood or charcoal, uh, especially for cooking. So um, sustainable energy options is a must if we are going to see the forestry uh, playing a serious uh, mitigation uh, element in the climate change space, because that means we need to sustainably manage our forests. But in terms of um, what we are doing um, to ensure that our forests play this important role, uh, Zimbabwe has uh, become a part of the bond challenge, uh, which is a global goal uh, to bring 150 million hectares uh, of degraded and deforested landscapes into restoration uh, by 2020 and subsequently 350 million hectares into restoration by 2030. So for us, uh, forestry restoration is one key component. Hence, we need to identify sustainable livelihoods for communities that depend on forests so that they reduce deforestation and see forests as an alternative uh, food system uh, diversifier and also as um, an environmental uh, ecological regulator that provides unique uh, services. So if we are able to capacitate our communities to understand the importance and preservation or conservation of forests, it will help us to ensure that our forests are well-maintained, are well-managed, and they can uh, absorb or mitigate climate change in their maximum uh, capacities. So are there, do you have like programs right now at the commission um, that are targeted at stopping uh, deforestation and providing uh, alternative energy to people who are dependent on forests for, for energy? Uh, th there are some uh, activities that we are working on um, to ensure that communities um, also get the best out of the forest. So we are looking at uh, sustainable livelihood options. We have started um, beekeeping, which is your apiculture initiatives, because uh, whenever you know that there is honey there, you don't want to burn the forest because you know your source of income or your source of livelihood is in that area. So it becomes a well-managed area where such uh, livelihood options are provided. So we have um, so a number of programs that are ongoing, but we are in the process of scaling them up um, and we are identifying uh, alternatives. There's also been the briquetting technology, uh, which can also form uh, an alternative source of energy for communities. And also um, we have companies such as Waku Company uh, that can use the bark of the trees uh, to generate uh, charcoal. So if we are going to have green certified charcoal production, which then doesn't uh, result in deforestation, especially of our indigenous forests, that will be most uh, welcome. And of course, our tree planting, uh, we know that every December, we are at the peak of the tree planting season that spans from the rainy season up to maybe um, latest mid to end of April. So our tree planting is one of the major programs where we see a lot of reforestation, afforestation and land restoration are taking place. Okay, so how many trees have been planted so far under this initiative? Um, I, I think in terms of the, the national uh, tree planting every year, uh, in 2018, we managed to plant over 12 million trees. Um, it was about 12,616,000. Uh, 
Um, and then in uh, 2019, we went up to 18.45 million. And as of uh, last year, we planted 16.5 million trees. So we are increasing that. And in the future, we are also looking even at more targeted uh, tree planting and even the opportunity to establish fruit plantations, which will also act as carbon sequestrators, but also providing an an alternative uh, livelihood for communities in terms of diversifying their nutrition and also generating minimal income for their day-to-day living. So um, we've heard you talk about uh, the private sector and government trying to collaborate so that there can be a fund that um, is looking at uh, fighting climate change. So my next question is, uh, does a government have enough financial resources to mitigate the effects of climate change? Uh, the, the effects of climate change uh, can be really massive. And uh, no ordinary government can be able to plan for them. And like what the IPCC report is saying, that if we go beyond 1.5 degrees, we are likely to see more increased droughts, more increased floods, more increased cyclones. Each region will be affected uh, in its own way. Um, for example, you can see the fires in America and Canada. Mm-hmm. We saw the, flood, the floods mm-hmm. in Germany. You know, those uh, impacts, you can never really with certainty say we have planned for them. And you can never say we have enough resources to cover them. So for um, governments to have enough financial resources for climate change, it's still constrained. And to us, that's why um, under the United Nations framework, Uh, where developed countries bearing the responsibility of causing or contributing to climate change uh, because of the industrial revolution, Uh, they need to support developing countries. It is that level of multilateralism and that window that as a country we should equally uh, start uh, focusing on uh, to ensure that we increase our domestic financial resources, we co-fund them, we blend them, with additional resources from the multilateral system and from the private sector to support and address the climate change challenges that the country is facing. So we've spoken about the private sector, we've spoken about government. Now, my last question is, uh, how can I, as, as an ordinary person, contribute to the fight against climate change? What can I do so that we don't go over the 1.5 degree? Yes, uh, I think... Being the the board chairperson of the Forest Commission, the first thing I'll say is plant trees. So let us be accountable. Let us plant as many trees as we can at your home. Um, Your fruit trees, they really matter to us because in their bare minimum, they also sequester a level of carbon. Um, And then as individuals, let's reduce our energy use. Uh, People come to the offices, they leave their laptops or their computers on and they run the whole night and they use the energy that is generated from Wange. So let us reduce um, energy use. Let us be conscious, uh, switch off our lights when we don't need them. Let us avoid brushing our teeth on running water. Pumping that water to your house requires energy and that energy is being pumped from Wange. So if every individual is going to be responsible in their minimal space, 
uh, we are able to probably generate another power station of maybe another one megawatt by basically using our energy more efficiently in our households, uh, being conscious of um, our activities that we do to ensure that they do not cause harm to the environment, they do not contribute to climate change, but we are accountable and we are responsible in activities that we take. Well, thank you. Mrs. Jackarasi for coming to the program. And thank you thank- very much, <laughs> And thank you for being one of the people who are spearheading the fight against climate change in Zimbabwe. Thank you so much. And lastly, thank, thank you. you very much. Okay. Um, and- I, I think I was saying I think we can all fight climate change in our uh, in our capacities in any space that we are operating mm. in. Thank you. And I hope everyone takes it to what uh, Mrs. Jagaras is saying. And thank you to all our listeners. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow us on our social media pages. Our handle is EcovilleZW on all platforms. Join us next week for another episode. I'm your host, Nonsigele Lokwaka.